The talk is about being awake and free in the mystery of life. And since it's the summer solstice, um, which I, you know, (laughs) we can feel through these lights up here. I wanted to begin with that great saying uh, that the Buddha said just before he died. When um, the Buddha was dying, his attendant for his whole teaching life, Ananda, asked him, you know, well, what are we going to do to keep these teachings? You know, how are we going to save them? And what are we going to do? You know, you can imagine what that felt like um, for Ananda. And the Buddha answered, be your own light. That's, you know, that's an incredible thing to reflect on and contemplate, to be your own light. And so in this time of summer solstice, uh, we can see that if we are dependent on that kind of light, (laughs) we're not happy. And if we're dependent on any condition to be there for us to be truly interested in life, we're not happy. You know, so this question about be your own light, you know, and how to be, how to remain um, curious, how to keep uh, this curiosity about life, even though we can't control um, what is happening. It's a really important question. We can often experience a kind of homesickness uh, when we are out of touch with the wisdom of being interested in all of life, meaning the pleasure and pain if we're only interested in what we think should be happening, you can see how unhappy we become. And when we're truly interested in what we're given, what's on our plate, usually, you know, it doesn't mean that that transforms into pleasure, but it transforms into understanding what we're doing here. So the question, who am I? You know, who are you? It's not just who am I, but you know, it's, it includes who are you, or who who is the um, toad, or the frog, or the bird. It's like who are we? And again, can we bring this light, be your own light, to this question? I read a very interesting thing uh, that Carl Jung, the great um, psychologist, said. He said that humans have a deep need, a deep instinct for immortality. And yet we tend to get fixated on impermanent things. We long uh, for immortality. And yet we we get fixated on things like people 
or objects and try to make them permanent, when actually if we become aware that what we're really longing for is something deeper, you know, that this, this begins that search, that questioning. You know, the search, the questioning is the light. The Buddha called investigation the light in the mind. So be your own light is really just like having a dark room and turning on a light bulb. That is interest. That is investigation. And again, when we turn on the light, we can't control what we're turning the light on. Yeah, It would be great if we could, but that's not how it is. That's not the truth of things. So when we come on a retreat, we have this incredible opportunity to start inhabiting ourselves. And how much do we really live in our body? Or how much do we really live in our thoughts, emotions, without being caught in them? Without somehow being ahead of ourselves or judging it as not being good enough? The Buddha also talked about this stream of dissatisfaction that runs, it's like an undercurrent of our moment-to-moment lives. And I think that what happens is that this fixation on things that are impermanent, as you know, Carl Jung said, that we're trying to make permanent what isn't permanent, uh, we get all confused, uh, and we don't know why we're unhappy. The light, we're not turning the light on where we need to be, which is not some idea of perfection in the past, but really what is happening in the moment. And so whenever we're really um, not in the moment, we're really, <laughs> we're really caught in some idea. And if you look closely at some idea of how it should be, yeah, we shouldn't have this pain in the, in the body when we're sitting. Somehow that, if only I didn't have this pain, then I'd be enlightened. Yeah, if only I didn't have this fear, then I'd be awake, or whatever. Not realizing that it's when we turn the light on, what we're thinking is the obstacle, is what's liberating. It's the truth of the present moment. So there's a way in which we can approach most of our moments in a very simple way, which is just to know that we're visiting this body We have this gift, this precious incarnation. Um, Now, I'm not saying that this precious incarnation is always pleasant. But we do have this precious incarnation um, to become awakened, to learn understanding. We forget that we're here to learn. So if you can approach being here in that kind of simplicity that we get this chance to know what it's like to inhabit our body, what it's like to um, question who are we, and and to just know what it's like to take a step or to eat or to sleep or to look at the rain or hear the rain instead of the sun on the summer solstice. Or us. <laughs> and I know, you know, I was here in October and November and September, and I know it was snowing mid-October. 
And I know I have nothing to complain about because I miss December and January and February. My family reminds me over and over again. They live here, and if I say, you know, in March and April I was here, and if I said, oh, the snow, it was like, you weren't here. You know, I don't have any, I can't complain. You know, you're not allowed to complain if you're from Honolulu. (laughs) (laughs) So I know my credibility isn't so good around this. Great, it's raining. You know, but it is great that it's raining if you're in the present moment. It's only that we remember the last eight months that if we compare it, (laughs) we get in the past, that, you know, we start thinking it should be different, yeah? Is it good enough? Is this moment good enough right now, sitting here? So in this practice of meditation, how we learn to um, bring the light in to the mind is initially to concentrate it. If you look at a typical human mind, it's pretty scattered and disturbed, and it's not easy to see it clearly. And so the first few days of this retreat will encourage you to anchor the attention And not always um, is the breath a neutral anchor for everybody. So in individual interviews, you know, group interviews, we'll be able to talk with you about, is the breath a a solid enough anchor? Or is it neutral enough? But the idea is that one finds something relatively neutral in the body because it holds our attention more than just the mind, to pay attention to just knowing, which is... um, more subtle for us initially, but we anchor with something physical out of our head, hopefully, which is so caught and lost in a lot of thinking, usually when we come on retreat. And that anchoring, that renewal of the attention with just something very simple, uncomplicates us and is a rest. And the most important thing is that it's a rest. It's like resting the heart with something simple, with some ease. When you come back to the steps in walking, why I'm saying, you know, this just to inhabit ourselves without so much complication is a kind of coming to stillness and ease. And we can never underestimate this, that simplicity of ease, tranquility, of, of developing it, that no matter what's happening, that we can come back to something with some ease. Just um, the last few days that my dad was in the hospital, uh, hospitals are very noisy, you know, and the more um, sick somebody is, the more people are around and the more um, machines are in the room and the more intense it is, the more, um, how do you say it, there's an intensity around that experience that um, isn't like sitting in this hall. Um, so we don't develop this tranquility, this ease, and this rest just for a time which is so protected, but we're developing it for the times that we aren't so protected. Uh, and I felt like so lucky that I turned Mass General into the temple. You know, I drive in there. And I would be like, I'm, I'm in the temple. My father's room was my meditation room. 
Uh, and it was really not like it is here. And it was great because I just, just could go in there and I could anchor with the breath, the body. And then the idea is that we're not just having this anchor, this um, neutral thing. That's not the end in meditation. It's just the beginning. It's just the ability to still oneself enough to let go of control of the attention and flow with life as it is. So we develop this ability to notice that life is alive. And if it's alive, you know, just, just think, if life is alive, it's not frozen. It's not dead. It moves. So the breath, it becomes um, an anchor for us. But then if you're mindful of it rather than just <coughs> concentrating with it, it's moving and it's changing every moment. You can, you, can, you can get fully enlightened noticing the breath. You wouldn't have to do one other thing. So you can do concentration with the breath, just pure concentration, which is just synchronizing your attention with that movement. <coughs> or with the body. You can just let this attention settle in with the body or hands or sound. You can just synchronize the attention with sound, not being mindful of it yet. You're just feeling this ease of connecting the attention with something. Focusing, settling, stilling. And then at times, the art of meditation is learning when the attention is still enough to let go of control and be with what's happening, like a cough or the rain. <laughs> you know, I have lots of cough drops under the... Do you want one? Yeah. <laughs> I always think whoever cleans the hall finds all my cough drops all over the place, but they're really helpful. <laughs> hmm. And I un- unwrap them so it doesn't make noise when I'm unwrapping them in the middle of the Even though we're all supposed to be with <clears throat> whatever's happening, we try to find a balance in the hall of a certain level of quiet and then perfectly normal bodily functions, such as coughing, sneezing, moving. So if if we were just in here and we wanted it perfectly quiet, it's not possible. It's not human. It's not life. It's mysterious. It's alive. It's changing. So the breath is alive. It's changing. The body is alive. It's changing. Not only that, then there's this minor little detail, which is the second foundation of mindfulness, which is that with each moment of consciousness... There's a pleasant or unpleasant or neutral feeling, which is also changing. So we're in this world of great change. And being able to have an anchor over a lifetime is really important. So say you're in the hospital and you're sitting there and there's all kinds of chaos. One can can ground, one can be a peaceful anchor in the midst of that kind of change.
and as one grounds and has that ease, one opens to the change. Inevitably, if you play with this, and a lot of you have know what I'm talking about already, but as you, as you ground and then open again, uh, we'll get lost eventually. And the question, the light that we have to ask ourselves is why does this happen? Why does the attention get lost so much? Why do we suffer? And usually what happens when we start to explore this is that we get afraid. We can't control what's happening. We either don't see something clearly, a thought will come, we don't see it clearly, and we're gone for five or ten minutes thinking about it. But if you look closely at the content of the thinking, we're often trying to get the best deal in life. You know, we're often planning, you know, look at it closely. I'm not, don't take my word for this. Look closely. We're, if you're sitting there thinking, usually we're trying to you know, get the most pleasant situation and avoid the unpleasant over and over again. And this takes light in the mind, an investigation. Not being oppressed, not being imprisoned by pleasant, unpleasant, neutral is freedom. And it requires this enormous curiosity about this. It it requires, like the solstice, this enormous light and interest um, to understand this. So trying to control the stream of change in life is suffering. Trying to understand the stream of change in life is wisdom. That's what we're here for. And then to have great compassion for all of us who have taken birth in this. Remembering that pleasure isn't the problem and pain isn't the problem. It's really important. We're not trying to get rid of pain. We're not trying to get rid of pleasure. And we're not even trying to change the, you know, the change the change. What we're trying to learn to do is to see when we're controlling, holding on to pleasure when it's already passed, or pushing away pain, or pushing, you know, with, with aversion, or withdrawing from pain with fear. So even those experiences are fine, unless we're caught in them. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, I was teaching a retreat in a wilderness area in New Mexico, and um, the meditation hall is connected to the kitchen. So it's not like this where you know, we, we, we get to receive these incredible meals and we don't even hear it, yeah? We don't have to hear the pots and pans and the, you know, running around. And, you know, that's unusual in this world to have this kind of separation from the meditation hall and the kitchen. Um, so when uh, we sit this retreat, the cooks really work hard at not cooking at certain of the times when we're sitting. And it's usually pretty quiet 
and all of us expect a certain set of sounds. Yeah, you sit in a hall for a certain amount of time, you, you kind of expect a certain set of sounds. And that day, um, we could hear this clomping up and down the porch, you know, and it's a, it's a wooden porch, and there was a clomping, and we we're all sitting there, you know, and there's more clomping, and the whole sitting, the whole sitting, there was this clomp, 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 and you could just feel the aversion building, you know, just building and building and clomp, 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 And we're all, you know, and I kept thinking, you know, who isn't in this hall, you know, that is clomping? So I would look out and I would count and look and I couldn't, everybody was in the room, you know, and I couldn't figure out what was going on and I thought, you know, well, who's losing it? You know, what is going on? And then I'd start sitting again and you know, when you're teaching, you feel more responsible for people's mind states, right? And it was one of the first days of the retreat. You know, it's like maybe the, the day, the nervous breakdown day, about the third day of the retreat. You know, and I felt kind of like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Uh, there, that, what I mean by that is that usually, <laughs> I better clarify that <laughs> for those of you who are new. Um, Actually, we, it'll be part of the talk, but I better explain it. Um, whatever we're resisting, you know, the first day we're kind of keeping a lid on, and the second day we're keeping a lid on. By the third day, you can't keep a lid on it anymore. And whatever we're not wanting to feel eventually comes through by the third or fourth day. Now, don't take, you know, no guarantees here. It can be the fifth day. (laughs) But usually by the fifth day of a retreat, whatever it is that you need to be working with will surface, but will resist it. And that resistance is the suffering, which is what this talk is really about. It's not what's happening that's usually an issue. It's, It's the not wanting it that's the issue. And mindfulness is that light that we bring to it, which is the willingness to feel whatever it is that's happening. So anyway, so no one was really interested in this clomping. You know, it was... (laughs) And um, so we all walked out of the hall at the end, and everybody's just enraged and furious, and we walk out, and there's this dog. And the clomping wasn't even somebody walking. It was its tail. (laughs) And somebody had fed the dog, and the dog was so happy. The tail was going clomp, clomp, (laughs) clomp, clomp, clomp. How much do we do this in our life? You know, we get so upset at something, and it's just a tail wagging. I mean, here we are all upset, and this dog was having the time of its life. (laughs) And it was simply a sound. You know, so this is what's, um, this practice of sort of being silent, if you're wondering if you're new, why are we so silent, why aren't we looking at each other's eyes, and then there's the walking, why why does everyone look like zombies, you know, why does it have to look so weird? You know, what is this? What are we doing? And the reason for it is that it takes a certain amount of stillness and quiet and concentration to even start to see this. To be willing, just like when there's the sound of the rain, 
to not just go, oh, poor us, rain. We judge it and we get lost in the past conditioning. That's being lost in concept. And it's not the present moment. And so there's so many levels to this. There's so many levels of this um, willingness to be with what is and investigate it rather than um, just name it, put a word to it. We think we know what things are. And then we, we actually kill life. You know, we're the ones who are doing it. <laughs> no one else is doing that. It's our birthright to be alive. It's our birthright to develop understanding and compassion. And can we cut through? If you look up here and you see, well, this, you know, you can say, well, that's a Susan. This is a Michelle. Listen to this. Do you just say, oh, that's a bell, and don't listen to it? Or can we bring our attention as if it's for the very first time, which it is, to the sound? The word bell will come. Notice the word, and then see if you can bring your attention back to hearing the vibration. Now, if you're tired and you're listening to this, you probably don't have any interest in the sound of the bell or what I'm saying. You know, it would be like, oh, I don't even want to hear about interest in the sound. Because when we're tired, it's very hard to cut through that we know what things are. We don't really want to go into the unknown. We just want to kind of curl up, right, and rest. That's why we have the concentration. That's why we have the anchor. You go back to something more neutral, easy, simple, and just rest there. That's very different than taking a holiday in a fantasy, yeah? What we tend to do when we're tired is entertain ourselves. This isn't to judge that, but it's like we often use up the very last bit of energy that we have on a lot of thinking, and then we get even tireder. So that being able to be a human being and be here lightly is being able to learn how to ground the attention lightly and rest the attention and to have enough energy, which is called courage in this practice. Courage and energy are synonymous. Heroic energy. To have enough energy to jump into the unknown again. So for example... You can be with the breath and have it be that uncomplicated and simple. And then there might be a certain point where this light comes on in the mind. And we say, what is this experience? Do you see the difference? One is just having this ease of synchronizing the attention with it. The other is really turning on a light and going, well, what is happening? Free from my ideas about it in this moment. And the possibility of doing that with anything, 
the instructions start with what's more easy for most of us as humans. So we start with breath and body, which is, as we all know, I can say it's somewhat more easy, but of course it includes the thoughts and mind. So if you're having any kind of physical pain, to have interest in that um, requires bringing your attention in it and not getting caught in the word pain. Because if we think, well, that's a pain, usually we'll have resistance and we'll go into it, but we'll want to get rid of it. We'll want to do something with it. We'll think of it as imperfect. If there's mindfulness, there's a willingness to explore it, to go into the unknown and say, what is this experience free from any past concepts or ideas? It can be interesting, burning, twisting, throbbing. I mean, you might not believe me the first day of a retreat, but it's true. This range of softness that we usually like a hardness, which we usually don't want. Explore it. That's earth element. All the variations of softness. Ah, that's rug. Ah, hard. Just exploring texture is a huge part of bringing light into this world. Or warmth and coolness are usually within our toleration zone, but is burning or cold. That's fire element air element. We love the soft vibrations. Uh, And then when it's the throbbing, tightness, we don't tend to want to open to that, but that's that range of what is true in a body. So it's really being honest and humble enough to start inhabiting what is true in terms of earth, air, fire, and water. And we start to see that really consciousness is just borrowing earth, air, fire, and water to be here. We're all sharing in this amazing transforming process. If that's hard to accept, just explore eating. I mean, it's really interesting to have a banana and hold it and then bring it towards your mouth and to say, well, at what point is that me? You know, it's fascinating. You know, is it when you get it? (laughs) Is it when it touches your lips? Or is it when it goes inside? And then, you know, later, when it comes out, is that you? You know, these are really important questions. When you cut your nails and the nails are on the ground, or the hair, or this pink hair, (laughs) I love looking in the mirror right now because I don't have a clue who I am, you know, and it's great, you know, any way that you can cut through this identity as being fixed and solid and um, you're not questioning it. Who am I? Who are you? Are we our thoughts? Are we our emotions? Are we our body? And what are our emotions? You know, what is fear when we don't have any idea about it from the past? Fear can be really interesting if we let go of any idea about it. And is it a thought? Is it body sensations? Is it a memory from the past that we project onto the future? 
is it really happening in the moment? Interesting. So the questions I'm asking are curiosity, investigation. It's what the Buddha taught, is how you bring light into this world. So that answer he gave Ananda, be your own light, is how we start investigating how we suffer and how we're free. I spent a lot of my early life um, going to nature to, to feel better about being born in the human world. And it was a way that I would um, really run away from pain. Uh, but it was a way of also finding an ease and simplicity that we learn in this practice with the breath or sound or the body. Um, I would stay out in nature long enough to have the courage to go face my life again. And it worked. It was great. You know, I would go back out to nature and I'd go back into the human world, but I could never figure out how to be in the human world and be free and be okay. So I would keep going back and forth, and as I got older, it became more poignant and more painful because I'm human. (laughs) You know, we're human. And how do we do this? Uh, and when I started to do this practice, my, my first retreat, I started to get, oh, it's aversion to pain I'm running from. It's not even the pain. This is the most important thing to start to understand. This is where the Buddha taught where we could get free. It's not to, again, it's not that we have to do anything about pleasure and pain, but it's the holding on to the pleasure that is where we suffer in the human world. And it's the pushing away the pain, the running from it, where we suffer. So you might be new in this retreat, and you might find that you need a very big pasture. You might not be able to do all the sittings or whatever. Do the best you can. The more we judge ourselves, the more we get caught in aversion and attachment, the more there's doubt. The more we doubt ourselves, the more you'll doubt everything, life. And um, (laughs) then you start going down and down and down into that pit of self-hatred. And this is where we usually whip ourselves. And we might use an enormous willpower, uh, but ultimately that has to go to this deep surrender to how things are. And that just that's a process, and we go through it over and over and over. Is there the willingness to be here, or is there resistance? And what I love about this practice is that the resistance is okay. You don't have to do anything with it. You just let it be. One way you can look at that is, you know, you might have to open your eyes to see this part, but me doing it. But awakening is in the light in the mind we open like that. And when we're resisting, we're closing. We feel separate, a separate self. We don't feel that interconnectedness and aliveness. What do we want? It's a (laughs) no-brainer. We want this, yeah? We want to feel interconnected and open and alive 
And when we're like this, when we're closed off and tight and scared or, you know, whatever, resisting, it hurts. We might not even be realizing it hurts that much, but that feeling of being closed off is painful. Allow it. If you can just be able to be with feeling tight or resisting, you're in the present moment. If you're not caught in it, it's completely okay. How do we do that? (laughs) So, mindfulness. It's a receptive recognition. It's a receptive acceptance. It's a receptive interest or curiosity. It's a receptive non-identification. Or you could call it a a recognizing presence, an accepting presence, an interested presence, and a non-identified presence. When all four of those are there, you'll feel like you're really centered, alive, able to be with what's happening. So say, let's take the um, rain as an example, the sound of it. And we, we, we have this chance to be mindful of it. Well, the first thing that might be happen is that we might have this word rain come through our head. So that's okay, sound and, ah, the car. We take our, it takes our attention, yeah? You go to the car. If you just get caught in these words, do you see how you're hardly alive and aware? But if you can just let that word come and go and recognize hearing. If you're new in practice, it usually helps to make a soft mental note hearing because we get so distracted we forget to even stay with that process of hearing. You notice we don't say, I am hearing. We just say hearing because I am hearing is referring back to a separate self. And then you just try to let your attention, just very softly, let that sound come to your attention. Receive it. Receive the sound. Receive it. With the breath, you receive the experience of the direct sensations. You know, this is not easy. If you try it, you'll see how delicate it is. Our attention goes off. So we, we practice like being with a whole movement of a leg. Now, how many times when you take a step is it just the word leg or just the word foot? That's okay. If you judge that, you know, it's just like a downward cycle. But if you can stay with that process enough for the energy, concentration, mindfulness to come more into balance, recognition, moving. (laughs) That's half the battle is having the name and then letting it go, hearing. You, 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 you bring your attention, you're with it, you let it go. Can you accept what's happening? Usually that's not so hard with a breath, but if it's fear, can we do that? We recognize, you say, it might not know it's fear, but sometimes just having a soft mental note, fear, and then bringing your attention, dive in, connect, Notice the body sensations. Notice the thoughts. Can we be interested in it? And then, of course, a great thing to happen with it is not to take it personally. 
we might have some recognition, we might have some acceptance, we might even have some interest. And you'll see how um, you feel more here and more alive. We might still think it's my fear <laughs> and I want to get rid of it. Um, we, we move from the acceptance again to the resistance because we take it personally. This is a process. What I just described can happen in like five minutes and then we can be caught in it and then after a few minutes we can let it go and not be so caught in it. Hmm. If you didn't notice um, recognition, acceptance, interest, and non-identification spell rain. <laughs> I had the opportunity to be in a lot of um, hospitals in the last few years, um, just karmically. And uh, the first experience was, a, was a, with a friend in um, Honolulu that was very seriously close to death, and it was a very intense situation, again, in the hospital room. Um, And with this experience, as opposed to my dad, who uh, didn't know about the practice or mindfulness and really died very afraid, which was very painful to be with him with, but I, I was with him with that as much as I could. This friend of mine has done a lot of practice, and it was like we could both just be there and show up for this extraordinary experience where he had this very rare kind of pneumonia and just about died in my arms and came through it. Um, and it was quite, um, how do you say that, uh, like a verification of both of our faith in the practice to see the transformation in him. It's like he's had to, he's had to deal with a, a very, uh, difficult illness for the last 20 years. Um, and this was a turning point from, for him in terms of being afraid of death to really going through that process where he became more alive in this place of being so close to death than anyone I've ever seen. And it's like this last year, you know, he gained 35 pounds. He's flourishing in a way that I've rarely seen anybody in a lifetime. It's like just by being able to show up for that proximity uh, and being mindful through it, it's like he's not afraid of it. He's not afraid of the pain. He's gone through it. And at that period of time, Susan doesn't know this, but Susan had sent me for my birthday this little kit, this travel kit of Burt's Bees. I don't know if you've seen the Burt's Bees in the health food store. Little, you know, they're soaps that you put on and creams and this and that and the other thing and I brought it into him and we turned the hospital room into this spa <laughs> and 
It was so much fun. It's like every day we'd open up a new little thing that Susan had sent. <laughs> the room would fill with these smells. And, um, and it was like he learned a kind of um, listening to himself and a kind of self-love, metta, um, that was totally healing. I mean, they talk about, you know, we can hear talking about healing into life through facing death. But this was what happened. And this is what we're doing here, each moment. You notice the birth, the life, the death of a breath. You notice the birth, life, death of a sound, the birth, life, death of longing, the birth, life, death. This is what we're doing. It's an amazing process. And I can tell you for myself, it's like I feel like... um, as I go through this journey, the more alive I feel, the more I'm willing to go through pain and pleasure. It's like, it's like I'm opening more and more to life. And I see that when I first started this practice, I'd say 98% of life was unacceptable to me. And I wouldn't say 100% is acceptable to me. Uh, That's full enlightenment. But it it certainly feels like this. It's like there's no comparison. There's so much more interest and willingness. And when I have the resistance, it's okay. It's okay to close down and rest and go in your little cocoon and wait until you have the courage to open again. That's the anchor. Simply walking, simply anchoring, resting, resting, resting. So try to learn this art, this retreat, of going into more of the cocoon, rest, more opening, rest, opening. And you'll find that the energy will slowly build. um, And you'll have this more and more, this light in the mind, more awakening. I'd like to end with a poem somebody just gave me to read from staff. Oops. (laughs) I don't... If I ever get this together, this could be 100%. (laughs) I cannot get this together. Oh, man. I don't think I was meant for aging. (laughs) You have to have it together to age. (laughs) Sassy Summer Solstice Poem. Every day is a new day, every second a new second. Hallelujah. Let's choose differently today, brothers and sisters, because summer begins today only according to habit. There ain't no calendar to predict our feelings, ain't no such thing as old feelings. What we feel now in this moment ain't never been lived till we lived it. Feelings. They're to be felt. (laughs) The moment we think them, we're out fishing and there ain't no fish in this pond. We're out fishing for what we think is great, not what we feel is great. Plotting, anticipating, connecting the dots, these are secret feelings hidden as thoughts. 
Let's feel this now, brothers and sisters, all of us here in this hall, June 21st, 2003. Now feel me. Stop me if you think I'm lying. Stop me, stop me, because we got it. Let's eat this fruit and taste it till the juice runs down, runs down our necks. And let's cry for all the times we didn't feel what we expected. Today is a new day, the second, a new second. Let's eat this fruit. Come and get your first helping. And don't you dare be counting on seconds. Eat fruit. <laughs> Let's sit for a minute. May we be truly alive and free with great compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.